Okay, well, Tom Brady, legend of the National Football League, announced his retirement yesterday. And already the vultures are circling. The media is abuzz. This expert and that expert all weighing in on the illustrious career of Mr. Brady, all with the intent of attempting to denigrate him, as they did many times during the course of his active career, trying to make him out to be not great and not even the greatest of all time, uh, and generally finding all manner of machinations and contrivances to try and demonstrate through statistical manipulation how he doesn't deserve the title as number one. And as usual, most of these people are completely bereft of any accomplishments in their own lives, so they're left to the criticism of those that can achieve. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of several easy ways. <clears throat> and forgive me, I'm still nursing a little bit of a cough. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, and you can simply search out The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way using your native podcast aggregator app. Or you can download the free Podbean app at either of those two locations, and you can look up The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way. Whichever way you decide to subscribe, you'll be able to leave comments, reviews, and we desperately need more of both of a positive nature so that we can continue to grow the show and serve as you. And if you have a question you'd like to ask me or a topic you'd like me to cover, please don't hesitate to contact me by email at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. If you'd like me to speak at one of your local conservative functions, or any function for that matter, I'm always available to do that as well. You can contact me at the same email address, jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. So, being in the New York area, there are many sports shows here. Now, one of the longtime sportscasters, uh, and uh, now he's sort of fading into obscurity, was a man that was prominently featured on what we used to call The Fan, W-F-A-N, sports radio, a man by the name of Mike Francesa. I was never a big fan of Mike Francesa. I think he's a, well, to put it bluntly, an overweight bloviating blowhard that thinks he knows a lot more than he does. I'm going to give you a little background on why I really dislike Mike, Mike Francesa um, before I get into, well, let's, let's get into what he said about Brady first, and then I'll give you a little background about why I really despise Mike Francesa. He states that Brady isn't even close to being the greatest quarterback of all time, because in his convoluted way of thinking, uh, he's not the best Super Bowl quarterback because his stats in the Super Bowl uh, are not as good as Joe Montana's. Joe Montana won three Super Bowls in the 1980s, 82, 85, 89, and again in 1990. And his rating, his quarterback rating in all of those Super Bowls averages out to 127.8, you see. 
So this is his evidence that uh, Joe Montana is a great Super Bowl quarterback. Because when you juxtapose it to Brady's quarterback rating in his Super Bowls, Brady comes in at 97.7, which is far from shabby. Uh, But there's a few things that Mr. Francesa forgets to mention because it's not very convenient for his argument. Number one, Joe Montana only played in four Super Bowls. Tom Brady played in 10, and he won seven. He's got seven rings to Mr. Montana's four. Now, if I want to handpick Brady's best performances, he's got one, two, three, four, five Super Bowls in which his passer rating was over 100. In fact, he's got one where his passer rating is over 125. So it isn't like um, he didn't have performances that matched uh, Montana's to a, to a very good degree. The other thing to, <clears throat> excuse me, to remember is that the more games you play in, the more difficult it is to sustain performance over an extended period of time. Any statistician can tell you that. Look in baseball. We all used to watch how in the beginning of the season, when guys get off to a good start, there are guys batting 400, and there's guys batting 385, and you know, ridiculously high figures. Yet, no one has finished with over a 400 season, I think, since Ted Williams. And as the season goes on, even the best of players have their averages sort of dwindling because the longer you play, it's like anything else, casino, gambling, anything. The longer you play, the more the percentages of the game work against you. Now, adding to this stupidity, this sophistry of reason that he employs about why Brady's not the best Super Bowl quarterback, he then goes on to say that he's neither the best regular season quarterback. Unfortunately, though, it's not Joe Montana who's the best regular season quarterback in his view. It is this Peyton Manning, a man who couldn't seem to win a Super Bowl until the Denver Broncos propped him up, and he really wasn't the primary reason that he won that Super Bowl. The reason why he won is because the defense uh, with Vaughn Miller and a couple of other killers over there really took it to Cam Newton. And quite frankly, if I was as big as Cam Newton, I don't think I'd be afraid of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but they really stuck it to him, shut him down, and uh, he didn't do very much to win that game. He just happened to be occupying the position of quarterback. It was the defense that won that game. But, hey, he was on the team, he gets a ring. But hardly a stellar postseason quarterback. So what does Mr. Francesa propose to do in his make-believe fantasy world of football. Have Peyton Manning captain the team and be the, the quarterback during the regular season, and once they get to the Super Bowl, we'll just take Joe Montana off the bench and have him win the Super Bowl? Well, I suppose that's one way of doing it, but wait a minute. Isn't there something that occurs between the end of the regular season and the Super Bowl called postseason play or the playoffs? You have the wild card rounds. You have the divisional rounds. Uh, Joe Montana played quite a number of years, uh, and many times he got to postseason play. Not every year, but he got to postseason play, and uh, he didn't do all that good in the postseason play. 
So when you look at the 127.8 um, passing rating he got for his four Super Bowls, and now you juxtapose it to the postseason play, I think which includes the Super Bowls, you have a passer rating of 95.5. So now let's compare that to Tom Brady's. Tom Brady, in the postseason, has a passer rating that averages out to 89.8. Only four or five points uh, separating them. And there's a huge, huge, huge difference in the number of postseason appearances that Tom Brady has made compared to the postseason appearances that uh, Joe Montana made. In the postseason, because of his limited appearances, assuming because of his inability to take the team all the way, um, Montana passed for about 5,772 yards. Tom Brady, on the other hand, passed for over 13,400 yards. And mind you, Tom Brady never had the tools out wide, as pointed out by none other than the great defensive secondary player, Deion Sanders, that Joe Montana had. Joe Montana had a Hall whole, whole of Fame wide receiver working for him. Okay? He had some of the best receivers in football playing for him that he could go to. In fact, he had arguably perhaps maybe the greatest wide receiver in the history of the game, Jerry Rice, that he could go to. Now, look, Tom Brady did have Gronkowski, who was maybe one of the greatest tight ends ever to play the game. But I think most people, when they think of quarterbacks that are able to get great passing yards, and they're talking about a good receiver core, they're not just talking about tight ends they, that they can go to, which usually you don't go deep with. They're usually more inside midfield, you know, uh, mid-range into the secondary. You're looking at your deep threats or your wide receivers. Okay, and Sometimes, occasionally, they spring a back out of the backfield. But you need wide receivers to really get the full benefit of uh, a champion quarterback with a deadly arm and an understanding of the game. And Brady, he had competent receivers. He had competent receivers. But he didn't always have great receivers. They were not the fastest. They had, a lot of them had sure hands, but they weren't the greatest receivers. They're never going to go down as the greatest receivers in the game. They may get lucky, some of them, and get into the Hall of Fame, Edelman and Amendola. Uh, I like them a lot. They may get in there because of the fact they played with Brady and on his teams. Gronkowski is a shoo-in in the Hall of Fame. I'm not so sure about the rest. So Mr. Francesa employs a very, very convenient logic here. So the way I look at it, I think, is the way that most fans look at it. You have to be great in the regular season if you expect to get to the postseason. And then you have to be good in the postseason if you expect to get to the Super Bowl. Joe Montana managed to do that four times. Tom Brady managed to do it ten times, and with far less talent in the way of receivers for him to work with. 
and he was successful in capturing the Super Bowl title seven of those ten times. And then he had the audacity to suggest that Tom Brady uh, had some lucky breaks in those Super Bowls. Really? He didn't have any lucky breaks against him? You mean somebody doesn't, somebody catches a football and pins it against their helmet all the time? This is a guy who is going to go down as a nondescript player, this guy Tyree, and he catches the ball and pins it against his helmet, and it's good. If not for that unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime circus catch, that drive is over and the Patriots win. So please, please, and don't even mention Eli Manning's name in the same breath as Tom Brady. This doesn't happen. So this guy, Francesa, is living in a fantasy world, and all these other guys, Stephen A., and all these people from ESPN that want to jump on it, and that other guy, uh, Max Kellerman, who knows even less about football than he knows about boxing, and he knows very little about that, uh, despite what he thinks. They're all just fooling themselves. Now, let me get a little background to Francesa, because I really don't like this man. And I make no secret about it. I give you full disclosure. I'm going to tell you why. There's nothing worse, in my opinion, than kicking a man when he's down. Now, there was a very famous college football coach, which some of you young people may not remember, by the name of Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno was a legend in college football, coach for Penn State. And he did a lot for that distinguished university and he did a lot for Penn State football, and he did a lot for a lot of players that played there and went on to Pro Bowl. Not the least of whom was Hall of Fame running back, Pittsburgh Steeler, Franco Harris, who, to his credit, stood up for Joe Paterno. And there was a man, was an assistant, that worked Penn State football team by the name of uh, Sandusky. And he was a Pedophile. He was an abuser of young boys. Jerry Sandusky, I believe, was his name. He wound up getting convicted. And everybody dumped on Joe Paterno for not doing something about it sooner, for not calling the police and all of this and all of that. The fact of the matter is, Joe Paterno did do something about it. When it was brought to his attention, because I remember reading about it at the time, Joe Paterno brought it to the attention of his superiors. Now, I don't fault Joe Paterno for not going directly to the police. He's part of a big organization. And big organizations have their own chain of command. And I think that if I were in Paterno's position, a member of a big organization that I believe to be an honest, forthright organization, administered and run by honest, forthright people, that if I bring this to the attention of the organization and allow them to handle it and bring it to the authorities' attention, if they deemed it warranted, and obviously it did, I would have every confidence that they would do that. I wouldn't go behind their back and waylay them and report it to the police without telling them. I'd bring it to their attention and let them report it. He did. He did bring it to their attention. They never brought it to the law enforcement's attention. So I love how everybody's getting on Joe Paterno and the board of trustees and the administration and the college president and all that and the deans 
They all grant themselves immunity and a clean bill of health and give themselves uh, absolution for not having done anything, even though it was brought to their attention, and instead dump on Joe Paterno, who at the time was a dying old man of cancer, and saying that he's the one who should have done it. They knew he was dying, so they dumped it all on him. They dumped everything on Joe Paterno. And instead of standing up for the legend that he was, like I just did now, Mike Francesa stepped on him, poured gasoline on the fire, salt in the wounds, and criticized him and agreed with basically everything that Penn State did in removing his statues and all of that. Mike Francesa is a piece of garbage. I'm not forgetting what he did. He's a fat, know-nothing blowhard. And I don't think anybody should listen to anything he says. But that's my take on it. Tom Brady is the winningest quarterback in terms of Super Bowls. That's a feat that I don't think will ever be repeated. He was an amazing tactician. He had an unbelievably analytical mind for the game. And he was able to do it without a lot lot of the physical gifts that many of his contemporaries have. Everyone runs around telling me how great and how natural quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. Shannon Sharp, the former Denver Broncos tight end, talks about throws that Aaron Rodgers made that Tom Brady, while he's lying in bed with his beautiful wife, Giselle Bundesen, could never dream of making. Well, Tom Brady doesn't have to dream about making amazing throws because Tom Brady can sit back and reflect on amazing Super Bowl wins that he has. How many Lombardi trophies does Aaron Rodgers have to his credit? Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl victories and 10 Super Bowl appearances. No one can match that. And all these people would always point out about how he doesn't have the gifts, he's slow, he's this, he's that. And Max Kellerman, the great predictor, well, Brady's going to fall off the, uh, the cliff, uh, the statistical cliff, because his uh, physicality is going to wane. What none of these experts ever realized was that athleticism and physicality were not the secrets to Brady's success. Therefore, he suffered far less diminution in his skill set and his success rate as he aged because he never depended on his physicality to begin with. He depended on his knowledge of the game. He depended on a balletic sort of footwork to move around gracefully in the pocket, even though he wasn't a scrambler and he wasn't a fast runner. But he had a very good arm. And his arm strength was good right up till the end of his career. He was able to make those passes. A man like Aaron Rodgers, great as an athlete as he is, his effectiveness is completely derived or a large part derived from his athleticism and his exceptional skills. And as those athletic skills erode, so will his ability to get the job done. Never that was the case with Brady. And his longevity in the NFL, in what is considered by most experts the toughest position in organized sports to play, quarterback, speaks for itself. So anyone wants to get on Tom Brady, just come and have him call me. And I'll set them straight because I don't think these experts have any idea what they're talking about. Now, 
moving on from the world of sports. We have a few other things I'd like to hit. There's just so much that we have to hit right now. Um, One of the things I've told you is that what we saw in the last election is that the red states got redder and the blue states got bluer. And these blue states are getting so blue that they're getting to the point where their their blue color um, is very appropriate because it represents the blue that comes over someone's face when they're starved of oxygen. And our state is being starved of oxygen right now because we're being overrun by people that have no right to be here. And their presence here is being facilitated by people who ought to know better. We've had over the past uh, week or so, a couple weeks, a big story brewing at the Watson Hotel in Manhattan where migrants that came here illegally off the southern border have been housed in three to $400 a night hotels with flat screen TVs, getting free food, free coffee. It's unsustainable. And the city of New York, uh, in their generosity, created a place for them. But these people who have no right to be here in the first place, as I've said before, they've decided they don't want to live in that place that was created for them. Because they like the fact that they're living in three and four hundred dollar a day hotel rooms with flat screen TVs and swimming pools and all their meals paid for. They want to stay there. They say it's not nice in the space in Brooklyn that the city of New York created. Oh, it was nice in the one horse dump that you came from when you fled your country and violated our laws and bashed through the front door and walked across our southern border without permission. It was good. Back in the, in the dumps of Venezuela and Central America, it was good there. That you're pointing the accusing finger of blame at the city of New York and what they've created for you in Brooklyn. You have no standing to ask for anything. In fact, in a different time, you'd be treated very differently. And if I were running the show, I would make an example out of all of you and discourage people from violating the laws that have been duly passed by Congress. I'd be out there with a PA system telling you, look, The gravy train is over. We've created a space for you. You're either going to occupy it or you're going back where you came from, but you're not going to stay in this hotel. And if you think you want to stay out in the street in sub-freezing weather, we'll just turn the fire hoses on you, soak you to the skin, and you'll decide whether you want to go to the Brooklyn location that we have for you that's warm and clean and dry. Or do you want to freeze on the street? And I think the city government just has to stand up to the, the cry, the anticipated cry of the media and the lobbying groups and just say, look, this is the way it's going to be. Tough luck. End of story. And you'd wind up saving yourself a lot of aggravation in the future because a lot fewer people would come here when they see that the letter of the law is being enforced. But that's what I do. We have people that have no right to be here And they're going to come in demand of us what we need to do and what we should do and how we need to do it. It's unthinkable. Unthinkable 20 years ago. But this is where we've gotten to. Now, another incident that's been in the news quite a bit is that case down in Memphis where I believe five police officers from the Memphis Police Department during the course 
of arresting a man named Tyree Nichols inflicted sufficient punishment on him that the injuries sustained resulted in his death at a subsequent point in time in the hospital. And it's almost like the media is upset that the police officers involved were all black, as was Mr. Nichols. I can only imagine what the country would be going through right now if the police officers were not black. There's already been protests in New York City and places so far afield from Memphis that you can't even imagine it uh, taking place, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, But these are like sympathy protests, but they're not really sympathy protests. They're part of an organized effort to capitalize on any incident involving police, whether justified or unjustified, to try and shake public confidence in the police and to try and convince the public that the police departments that we depend on to keep us safe uh, need to be disbanded in lieu of some other yet-to-be-determined, yet-to-be-decided entity that's going to handle and discharge these functions, which is rather ridiculous. It's almost like what the New York City Police Department or the City of New York did during the Knapp Commission when they had that uh, allegation of the allegations of corruption and they had the Knapp Commission that investigated everything. All they really did was identify functions that had previously fallen under the purview of the police department to discharge, such as uh, inspecting restaurants and um, taxi and limousine commissions and things of that nature, because they, um, they deemed that this is where a lot of potential corruption was, you know, bribes for looking the other way in restaurant inspections and registrations and so forth. So they didn't eliminate these things. These things still have to be performed. They just took them out of the police department and put them in other agencies. Now, whether there's corruption in those other agencies, we don't know. But apparently the news media doesn't care as long as it isn't the police department that's corrupt, you see. Uh, But eventually it's, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Now, what I can't fathom for the life of me, I'm, I'm, Not pleased, just like most people are not pleased by the video that they saw. But I also know sometimes that these videos are not the complete videos and don't always give the whole story. So, like a clear-thinking person, rather than rushing to judgment, I'm willing to let the criminal justice process play out and see what unfolds. Because what I can't fathom is that in this day and age, unlike in days of of old, police officers know they're wearing body cams. And if they're not wearing one, maybe one of the other officers at the scene is wearing one, and everyone's got a cell phone today, and everyone is recording you regardless of what you're doing. So they have to know that everything they do is on film. Knowing this, I can't imagine why people would act that way. Because the film is either going to vindicate you if you're right, or it's going to hang you if you're wrong. Therefore, I cannot fathom why they would do what they did, knowing that the film was going to show this. So either there's more to this story that we're not getting, or they were simply caught up in the moment and lost themselves, in which case they'll they'll pay the price. But I've heard another piece of information regarding uh, 
this incident, a little background information, which I do not have confirmation on yet. So I'm not going to say it. I'm going to hold it in abeyance until such time as I get more information. But uh, we clearly have a breakdown in the social fabric in this country. It's almost as if, and I've said it before, that there is a conspiracy, whether it's organized or not, to challenge every social, societal norm and convention that we're aware of. The institution of marriage is being challenged. The institution of law and order and the police are being challenged. People think they can violate the law. People think they can object to being arrested. They have a right to negotiate it in the street. Uh, People are allowed to steal below a certain amount of money. Nobody's going to do anything. Well, if nobody's going to pay for something, why can't I just take something out and not pay for anything? That's what I want to know. If everyone takes that attitude, well, it's less than 500. We're not going to prosecute. Let's all start going into Dwayne Reed, grab $100 worth of groceries or drugs or whatever, and just walk out the door with it. How long before Dwayne Reed closes down? And then where do we go when we need stuff in our neighborhood? No place. This is upside down. The world is upside down. We have elections that are being manipulated, and there's no doubt about it. I've explained this on numerous episodes of the show with statistical data and evidence proving to you that hanky-panky took place. The only saving grace that I can see turning that around is that the red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer. And if that uh, trend continues, you're going to see a shift in the number of electoral votes as they're distributed in this country because the red states are getting redder because of population influx. The blue states are getting bluer as a result of population exodus. So they're going to have fewer and fewer electoral votes, and they will be less and less relevant in national elections, and the red states will be more relevant. Therefore, the congressional representation will be redder. And we may be able to retake the country. But the biggest problem we have is that we have too many people coming into this country, as Donald Trump pointed out, undermining our electoral system, who don't belong here and have no right to be here, and we have to stop it. And we have too many politicians that are career politicians and are only interested in the continued preservation of their uh, positions of power. And they're not interested in serving you. There may be two parties, but it's rapidly becoming a one-party system. It's for those in the in-crowd and not for those in the out-crowd. Why do you think the people fought Donald Trump so much? Because they didn't like his hair? Because they didn't like that he was divorced a few times? Because they didn't like because he made a few disparaging remarks about women? They tolerated a serial rapist in Bill Clinton as a president. They tolerated thieves in the White House, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, all because they did what they wanted them to do. They were against Donald Trump because he wasn't part of the in crowd. They wanted to let him know. They wanted to let everyone know. You think you can take our power base away? You think you can ruin our little rig game? This is what we're going to do to you if any of you, any of you billionaires, try and think you can get into our game and change the rules. We're going to crush you. And now, 
my Facebook page is inundated with people talking about a wealth tax. I haven't heard that spoken about since some stupid Democrat raised it during the Carter years. Yeah, Elon Musk needs to pay a wealth tax. He already paid tax. He paid tax on his income. Now, because he has some left over, you want him to be taxed again? Well, uh, they, they don't create that wealth. It's the workers that created the wealth. No. The workers are workers. The man with the idea had the idea, and he paid a fair wage to the workers to do the work. Nobody took advantage of anyone. Oh, they need to get paid more. Says who? Well, they need to share in the wealth. No problem. You want to share in the wealth? Then you have to share in the risk. You get paid if it succeeds. If it fails, you don't. See, Musk has to take all the loss if something fails. You don't. You still got your salary. If he has to fail and go bankrupt or lose something, he doesn't ask you to give your salary back, does he? He still pays you. So if you folks all want to take part of the risk, I got no problem with you getting more and sharing in the wealth. If you're sharing in the risk and you have skin in the game, you deserve to share in the wealth. No problem. That's capitalism. But uh, getting a fair day's work, which is not refundable to the employer, regardless if the enterprise goes belly up, and then claiming you're not getting paid or you're being taken advantage of, that's horse manure. If you don't like it, move to a communist country. I'm sure you'll be very happy there. You'll have free medical, you'll have free everything. All this stuff will be free, meaning you won't have to pay for it. So you think, until you see what you pay in taxes, both use tax, sales tax, and every other form of tax. You live in the greatest country of the world, and you're all too stupid to realize it. There is no free lunch. You think the Russian oligarchs, or the people in China, like President Xi, you think they're living like paupers? You got another thing coming. But all of this quest for apparent social justice, this is all a consequence of the educational system in this country, which is why I still say Mike Pompeo, the former congressman, former CIA director, former secretary of state under the Trump administration, should be applauded for stating a few months back that the most dangerous person in this country is Randy Weingarten the head of the teachers' union, and I couldn't agree more. A more leftist, socialist idiot you couldn't ask for than Randy Weingarten. And her counterpart here in New York City, Mike Mulgrew, is another person who needs to be brought to heel. They get away with murder. They got away with murder during COVID because of the de Blasio administration and now because of Eric Adams. If I was running this town and COVID happened, they wouldn't have got away with anything that they did. All these teachers wanting to get their full in-person teacher salary while they sat home and taught from the convenience of their living rooms in their bathrobes and drinking coffee. No way. You're coming to work. If you don't come to work, you're going to get a reduction in pay. You want the full pay? Come and do the job I paid you to do. No plan by the DOE. Nobody got any education. My son was a victim of it. And then, this they didn't tell you, when in-person learning, quote-unquote, finally was restored, it really wasn't restored. Yes, the kids were going back into school, but in many cases they went into classrooms where there was no teacher. There was a staff member that had to mind them 
and on a computer screen was the teacher still sitting home teaching the class. It was a shell game from Jump Street. I would have employed the tailor law, and I would have told him, they don't return to work, they're getting fined one day's pay for every day they're out. I'm the mayor, I exclusively decide when the tailor law can be invoked, and I will invoke it. These people need to be brought to heel. The reason why I'm leading up to all this and highlighting all these things is to letting you know that it's all part of an orchestrated effort. And the people now in the media and these rhino Republicans who are all trying to convince you that Donald Trump should not run again, that he's too divisive and he's too this and he's too that and there are better people, don't believe it. Donald Trump kicked off his campaign in South Carolina. There were throngs there. Enthusiasm for President Trump has not waned. Do I think Governor Abbott from Texas is a good man? Yes, I do. Do I think Governor DeSantis in Florida is a good man? Yes, I do. Do I think he's presidential timber? Yes, I do. But not now. And neither do most of the MAGA faithful. Because most of them believe that Trump got screwed out of his re-election, and many of them believe he got screwed out of his first term because of all these false investigations of Russia hoaxes, of Russia collusion we now know was a hoax that was paid for by the Clinton campaign. It's proven. They like DeSantis, they don't think it's his turn, and they'll never abandon Trump for him. I think someday down the road, I'd love to see DeSantis as president. But right now, we have a fight, a real fight for the very soul and the future of this nation. And of all the people I've ever seen in my political life, the only one that has the intestinal fortitude to hold up to it, fight the war, and has any chance of getting the term limits in Congress, which are so necessary to the future and the preservation of this republic as our founding fathers envisioned it, it's Donald Trump. So stay the course. Don't buy into the BS and support President Trump in his re-election campaign. Because if all of what I've just said to you means anything to you, then you'll support President Trump. If your children's future mean anything to you, you'll support President Trump. Oh, that's all for today, but... Uh, one little note before I leave, it just occurred to me when I was speaking earlier about the, uh, the Brady naysayers, is one little tidbit I wanted to share with you. You know, one of the things I always heard when Brady was playing was that, well, he's a good system quarterback. He's good for that system, intimating that if it wasn't for the system, if it wasn't for Coach Belichick, he couldn't win anything. Well, if the system is so great, why doesn't everybody use it? No, it was no system. The system was Brady's brain. And his proof, when he left the Patriots, I think it was poetic justice that the first year with a new franchise, no Belichick, no system, he takes a team that was mediocre at best, all the way to the Super Bowl, and wins it again. I also thought it was poetic justice that when they suspended him unlawfully for that bullshit deflate gate, 
that the Patriots still came with his leadership and won the Super Bowl. And if I were Brady, but he was too much of a gentleman to do it, when that idiot, Goodell, handed him the Lombardi Trophy, I would have pulled Burt Reynolds' line from Longest Yard and said, stick this in your trophy case. But he was too much of a gentleman to do it. I think it would have been perfect if Brady retired after he won the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, proving to them all that he could do it anywhere, anytime. But the man just loves the game. So he continued. And now at 45, way past the time when most quarterbacks have hung it up, he's decided to hang it up. So, just food for thought. For the Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.